You're listening to Tatiana Is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And if you're new to the show, this is the place where we discuss the characters, storylines, themes, all that sort of stuff in regards to Orphan Black. And this is not a spoiler-free podcast. We are discussing the series in its entirety, which as of this recording is the first season. So if you have not seen the entire first season, beware, there are spoilers ahead. And this week we're talking about Allison Hendricks, who I think had very an interesting introduction because personally, when we first meet Allison, which happens in episode two, is it? Yes, it is. In episode two, you know, Sarah has gotten this briefcase. She's gotten a list of addresses of other clones and Sarah realizes that one of them lives very close. So she drives out to the suburbs and is just horrified to realize that one of her fellow clones is a soccer mom. And, you know, Sarah confronts Allison in this little shack. And from that scene, I came away not really liking Allison. I think initially she's presented as a very unlikable character, but I feel like of all the clones, my feelings toward Allison probably evolved the most over the season. What do you, what do you think, Chris? Well, I think most people probably felt that way. And of course, it's, it's designed for you to feel that way because, I mean, really in the first interaction, Allison shoves Sarah up against the wall and threatens her and tells her to hide her ugly face on the way out. And, you know, it's not it's not the warmest reception. (laughs) That is for certain. But I find that line that you mentioned about hiding, hide your ugly face on the way out. I find that line really interesting. Because, well, I should say that I feel like we learn a lot about Allison in these really little moments. Mm-hmm. She she has some bigger moments, which are more significant, but I feel like there's all these really small moments that help us as viewers sort of understand where Allison is coming from in regards to this whole clone situation. And that's one of them, because obviously she's being she's being kind of nasty to Sarah. She's calling her ugly. But Allison obviously has the same face she does. So there's a lot of self-loathing, I feel like, revealed in that line. And it is one of those things I, I kind of wonder if it's also just sort of Allison being angry about the situation. Because, of course, it's not surprising to her to see another person with her face at this point, but clearly is just not happy about it. Yeah, because I think we get the sense over the course of the season that Allison, of the of the clones we sort of, we meet, I feel like, she's the one who's who's handling the whole I'm a clone aspect the worst at this point, even though she's had more time to adjust to it than Sarah. Allison is just not dealing with it very well. For example, there's in episode six where Allison gets kind of drunk and weepy and is talking to Sarah and is saying, you know, I don't have anybody to talk to about this except for you and you're just another version of me. She seems very upset by this idea that she's not a unique person anymore. It feels like this finding out she's a clone has really just rocked her sense of self to her core. Mm-hmm. And, and it is one of those things, you know, I, I think a lot of that has to do with Allison being sort of the domestic suburban, quote unquote, normal one of, of the group that, you know, she's sort of had this very specific upbringing and basically is sort of living what I think most people would sort of consider the either ideal or expected path. You know what I mean? She's married and has two kids and lives in a house in the suburbs and drives a minivan and is the soccer mom and the ice skating coach and all this sort of thing. And so so it is one of those, you know, you could see how coming from that background, the realization that you're part of some 
sort of vast conspiracy type science project weird thing going on and people are hunting you and <laughs> you know it's it's not an easy thing to adjust to i would think right totally. i mean i wouldn't know personally but i would gather well we were talking a little bit off air about how it seems like several shows that we watch that come out of canada they tend to portray the suburbs as a not particularly good place. And maybe this is an, this is a, 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 like a weeds effect or something like that. But this idea that people who, white people who live in the suburbs are, you know, they're very much encouraged to be a sheep, essentially. You know, they, they all drive the same car and they have the same things and they want the same life. And Allison achieved all those things, which is probably how she was raised, how she was socialized to want these things. But personally, I get the sense that even though she did achieve all of those things, she's not particularly happy about it. Did, did all the drinking tip you off? All the drinking, the pill popping, the icy conversations with Donnie, the rather the clearly stalled sex life going on between the two of them. So, you know, and, and I think, yes, you could make the argument that maybe some of that or all of that even is an effect of having found out she was a clone. But I personally feel like the show is suggesting that she's been drinking too much for a while. She's been taking antipressants or whatever type of pill she's taking for a while. She and Dan Donnie's relationship has not been great for a while. And so, I don't know, that's my impression, I guess. And that's a fair impression. I, I As we were discussing this earlier, I, if there's any hesitation I have, it is just one of those, we don't actually know because, I mean, clearly the, the revelation of being a clone has impacted her, and I imagine would at least have made everything worse, uh, not saying that those problems didn't exist prior to the revelation, but the clone revelation. But don't tell Allison that I said clone, because <laughs> she scares me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, she does have a glue gun, maybe two. <laughs> and she'll take that safety off, man. <laughs> <laughs> Hot glue is nothing to mess around with. <laughs> well, let's talk about the, the craft room of terror for a moment, if you don't okay. mind. No, no, I love the craft room of terror. Who doesn't? I mean, come on. I, I feel like I have to, to mention this because I've talked to people or seen people mentioning the little carousel full of scissors. Mm -hmm. uh, apparently, people don't necessarily know why she has all those scissors. Oh, really? I, I think I have at least heard one or two people who are just like, why are there so many scissors? They're scrapbooking scissors, uh, yes. in case you did not know. They they have decorative edgings on them. Yes, so it's it's you can cut paper or photos or what have you, and so they'll have different decorative edges. So yes, they're scrapbooking scissors. So that's why she has so many scissors? Yes, because Allison is a suburban suburban white middle-class mother. She She scrapbooks, clearly. Of course. Well, again, craft room of terror. Indeed. If you're going to have a whole craft room, even if it is also the, the laundry room, which hers is, I don't know where I was going with this. If you had a, a craft room, you would have to have, like, the full setup. Yes. I think that's where she, I was going with She this. clearly has multiple crafts because she, she scrapbooks. Yes, and, and she used the decorative duct tape to tie up Donnie, or his wrists, I believe. His, his torso was tied with various kinds of yarn. Yes, so, and yes, we, I, you notice that we see her evidence that she knits as well. Yes, there's uh, the, the scene where Sarah has her on standby in episode four, 
And we see her sit down at her craft table and she pulls out her gun and her keys and her phone. And we just see her sit there. And then the next time we see her, she's pouring herself a glass of wine. Well, sitting next to all her stuff that she'd laid out on the table is a finished pair of mittens. I'm guessing for Gemma. I don't actually know, but I'm guessing for Gemma. And there's like some leftover leftover yarn also on the table. So the implication being that she had knit Gemma a pair of mittens while she was on standby for Sarah, which I found amusing. And that's another one of my favorite Allison moments is that standby scene. Like I mentioned before, I feel like Allison's mental state is revealed a lot in very small moments. And I love when she sits down at her table and pulls out her gun and her phone and sets them down. And then she sort of takes a deep breath and kind of moves her shoulders around, kind of gets comfortable. And then she just kind of has this look of resignation as in this is my life now. And I just really love that little Allison moment. And and of course, I think part of what I like so much about that, too, is Sarah asked her to make herself available just in case. And that's what Allison did. You know, she she completely cleared her schedule just on the off chance that something would have to be done. And she was not happy about it, clearly, but was actually willing to do that. Speaking of Allison having to do things, but let's talk about this sort of weird paranoia and impulsiveness that we see from Allison. Because, uh, you know, those things combined are just not, not good. <laughs> I mean, she, you know, she hears that they've got monitors or that they might have monitors and immediately she suspects Donnie. And so she starts spying on Donnie. Even though she's known the man since she was a teenager. Yeah. She, she doesn't even hesitate to suspect her husband. Which is interesting. Which, which again, is why I think she and Donnie have not been happy for a while. Oh, no, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But, right, right. Um, but yeah, so immediately thinks, oh, I'll spy on Donnie. And then upon finding relatively little evidence, I mean, he gets out of bed in the middle of the night. I mean, that's really all she sees is that he gets out of bed in the middle of the night. Well, he does stand over her in kind of a creepy way. I will give her that. No, I, but, I, yeah. I'm with you. But, but, but yeah, all he does is get out of bed. It's creepy staring. It's not like there's no applying of electrodes or anything. No, no. (laughs) Is all I'm saying. No, of course not. But anyway, following that, again, it's a relative lack of evidence of anything, but then decides to react to that by whacking him in the head with a golf club. (laughs) Well, I'm trying to remember, did did she go ballistic about the box that she found before that or... Was that in the same it was, episode? It was, uh, I think that was episode five. And okay. she whacks him in the head with the golf club in episode six. Episode six. That's what I thought. So she has sort of two freaking out episodes. Right. Because, I, frankly, I was just shocked in, in episode five where she finds the box in the garage and is trying to open it, but then Donnie comes home. I was really shocked that she went ahead and confronted him about it. Me too. Because... I, you know, having watched a TV show before, I really expected her to just put it back and pretend it, you know, pretend it didn't happen for Donnie's sake, and then when he wasn't there, to try to try to fiddle with it again. But not Allison. Allison's determined. She she wants to know what's in that box now. It's going to be opened, and I really liked that they did that again because I wasn't expecting it. Right, and I kind of wonder if that's part of the impulsiveness too. I mean, not wondering so much as it is, but. I don't know. I just, oh, Allison, I, I, I worry about Allison. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Or I would if she was real. <laughs> <laughs> she's real enough in my mind. <laughs> I, I still kind of worry about Allison. Because she's, you know, she gets herself in quite a bit of trouble. Right. Because, of course, I mean, you know, she whacks Donnie in the head with the golf club. What did she think that was going to do? She was just angry. And like she's like she tells Sarah, it felt really good to whack him. <laughs> so I think it was just years of marital discord, plus all of this nonsense with the clones just bubbling up. And she just nailed him and it felt fantastic. <laughs> but then, of course, oh, Allison, but the reaction to whacking her husband in the head with a golf club, she puts a hockey helmet on him and pushes him down the stairs. <laughs> Yes, I like that touch. She thought enough to cover his head so he wouldn't get a head injury when she pushed him down the stairs, regardless of the fact that she would just give him a head injury. <laughs> and that he might still break his neck somehow, but... Yes, yes. Was the thing that I thought about, but... Yeah, she did her best, though. She did think enough to cover his head so he wouldn't, I don't know, break his, <laughs> crack his skull or something. <laughs> crack it more. <laughs> oh, man. And then, as if that wasn't enough, then there's the situation with, with Chad in the minivan. You know what I'm talking about. Which is a hysterical scene, both of them. I love them. <laughs> and see, that's the thing that sort of gets me about Allison. Here, she she does all these really paranoid, impulsive things, and they're hilarious. And <laughs> they they really kind of shouldn't be, because, again, I'm concerned about Allison, but... Yes, they are clearly kind of... Allison going off the deep end a little bit, maybe needs some mental help type of type of moments, but somehow they're still hysterical. They really are. <laughs> but to be to be honest though, I'm kind of proud of Allison when she gets in the car and and you know, smokes out with Chad. I feel like like she said she had she hadn't had a joint since she was in in Godspell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Chad doesn't know what that is. And <laughs> Did you expect that Chad would know what that was? <laughs> well, depends on what kind of college you went to, I guess. But, you know, that really felt like the first time we really saw Allison do something just for her. You know what I mean? Is that fair? I Yeah, I think so. I see what you're saying. Yeah. She was, you know, she had, at that point, she was thinking she was going to leave Donnie. And so she was just kind of, you know, F it. To, to use <laughs> Allison's turn of phrase, F it. I'm going to have a joint, and I'm going to sleep with this man I'm attracted to. Why not? But then she effed it all up. <laughs> then she effed it all up. It's true. <laughs> oh, man. So speaking of Chad, we have to talk about Ainsley. Of course we have to talk about Ainsley. Oh, Ainsley. Oh, Ainsley. Now, first of all, I got to put this out here because it's been a while since I've read this novel. But whenever I, heard the, whenever I hear the name Ainsley, I think of The Edible Woman by Margaret Atwood. Haven't read it. And I know, I know the orphan black writers are big on their literary references. They, they make references, obviously, to Brave New World all the time. So I'm wondering if the name of that character is somehow a reference to Edible Woman. It may not be, but it's kind of an unusual name. And that's really the only place I've heard of. And that's a fairly famous book. It's not like it's a obscure book. It's not everybody has read it, but it's fairly famous. But it's been a while since I've read The Edible Woman, so I couldn't really tell you what comparisons I might make. I, I know she's the roommate to the main character, and she's a more sexualized person than 
the main character is. And she pursues a relationship with this guy throughout the novel. But that's really all I remember. So, but if there are any listeners out there who have read Edible Woman and think there might be some parallels between the Ainsley on Orphan Black and the Ainsley in that book, please let me know. I'd be curious. And and so let's talk about what Allison does to Ainsley. Because, um, again, acting out of paranoia in a very impulsive manner. Oh, poor Ainsley. Not that Ainsley wasn't uh, on occasion very, very horrible, but she really didn't deserve what happened to her at all. You know, I, I guess what's so interesting about that situation to me is one of those, essentially, I, I think for Allison, it was an opportunity. Like, I'm not directly responsible for what's happening. And I'm not entirely certain that she intended for the outcome to be what it was. Because once Ainsley actually got strangled, Allison looks kind of shocked. Thoughts? Well, I think we've talked about this scene before. And my kind of reading of that scene when I first saw it was Allison seemed to almost be thinking this was a test of some kind for Ainsley. Because what really discouraged her from thinking Donnie was her monitor, was when Sarah said, oh, Paul is, mo- is was Beth's monitor, he's military trained, who's Donnie? You know, just some slub, schlub you knew in high school. And so I feel like that might have implanted in Allison's mind that all of the monitors were going to be sort of like, wow, trained in some kind of way. <laughs> I did karate moves that were awesome. You missed it, listeners. And, and so part of me, when I guess maybe that was my impression going into that scene, and so part of me kind of thinks Allison's reaction is like, okay, you're going to die. You're going you're gonna to whip out your mad monitor skills, and I'm going to know that you are my monitor, and ha. So that's partially why I think she hesitates to turn off the garbage disposal. But I know that some other people feel like, for Allison, that was just a moment of, if she's dead, maybe this will all be over. She was tired of this threat of a monitor looming over her and just thought in that moment, if she's gone this is over. I can go back to my normal life. So, and I'm not saying that's a bad interpretation. I think that's a fine interpretation of the scene, but that wasn't what I thought when I originally watched it. Which is fair. I I think I did, you know, on my first watching, just think that, yeah, I mean, she was so desperate to have everything over with. And, you know, repeatedly, every time they were talking about the situation they were in. She was like, I just want my kids to not be involved in this. So I think it is one of those, to her, it was about having one less threat and and then sort of coming to her senses once it actually ended. Right. Because, But, you know, she does have that reaction, like, I can't believe she actually died. But that could be an effect of just being a normal person who's never killed anybody before. Right. Oh my gosh. And technically, technically didn't kill anybody here. No, just, uh, she didn't she did not. do what she could have to save her. Exactly. Exactly. She did not kill her directly, but by her inaction, it resulted in Ainsley's right. death. She let her die. Yes. So again, you know, it did seem like this, I can't believe she's actually dead, but that could that could work with either interpretation of that scene, either that she thought Ainsley would be able to save herself or she was just trying to she was just so desperate to get, you know, change the situation, have it be over with, you know, that she was just so sh- but sh- she reacted in a really shocked way. So I think that 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 reaction would work in either case. Mm-hmm. 
So speaking of, of Allison's desperation to keep her, her children safe and away from this clone, but don't tell her I said clone again, uh, situation, let's, let's talk about Allison and her family. Because her kids, at least. Johnny, maybe not so much. But the kids are very important to Allison, clearly. I actually really love the interactions we see with Allison and her children. I kind of love that they're a multiracial family. And I think that Tatiana Maslany does a really good job being motherly in those scenes, especially given that she herself is not a mother. But yeah, I I love the interactions that we see between Allison and her children. Mm-hmm. And, and it is one of those things, it's kind of funny to me that they're always these really fleeting interactions, because she's always kind of almost, you know, ushering them somewhere or out the door or over to Ainsley's house or whatever it is, or, or you know, getting them packed up to go somewhere. Because or... apparently the kids have lots of activities. <laughs> well, yes, they're a, a middle class family who lives in the suburbs. Because <laughs> <laughs> apparently that's what all middle class families in the suburbs do. <laughs> It's true. There are very fleeting interactions with her children. But I don't know. I just I feel a lot of I feel a lot of love coming from Allison oh, they, toward they her, are very toward her kids. They're affectionate yeah. shoving them out of the house or out of the basement <laughs> scenes, but Yes, yes. Um, I, I am just amused that that's primarily what they are. Because it's Yes. <laughs> you know, Gemma showing up at the stairs. Who are those ladies? And no no Gemma, go upstairs. <laughs> And I will I will say for the show, I feel like they've gotten the language around adoption pretty well. You know, she Allison always refers to them as my kids, my my daughter, my son. She she says, you know, where where was your daughter adopted like my kids were? So that's she does mention they were adopted, but still using very my children, my kids, my daughter, my son type of relationship and never adding in a qualifier, my adopted son or something like that. Right. Do you ever find yourself wondering when they were adopted? Yeah, I'm kind of curious how old they were when Allison and Donnie adopted them. And if they, I, I, I'm assuming they're probably biologically related, Gemma and and her brother, but maybe they're not. Maybe they ha- had different birth parents. I, I occasionally wonder about that, too, because I, I guess I just kind of assumed that they were related, possibly adopted as siblings. I don't know. But Allison isn't that old, really. <laughs> so Well, the clones were all born in 1984. Right. Right? So just a shy of 30? Right. Because how old do we think the kids are? I mean, the older one might be 10? Yeah, 10 maybe. Her daughter looks like she's probably about 8, I would say. Right. And we know that Allison went to college because she was telling mm-hmm. that to Mrs. S. So mm-hmm. So yeah, it's possible her kids were a couple years old when, when they adopted them. Mm-hmm. Something to see in season two, maybe. I don't know. Okay, so let's talk about Allison and what we know of her relationship with Beth, because we don't know a lot. But I think most of what we do know of Beth, we've learned from Allison. I mean, we've seen tiny clips of her uh, when Sarah was learning how to be her. But I mean, what did we really learn from that? That she says you're damn right, and that she runs. <laughs> so we we learned from Allison that they, she she said that they weren't particularly close. But I think she's maybe the closest person to Beth that we have met. Right, because Kasima doesn't really talk about Beth at all. Right. And there was Paul, but that whole thing was just lies. So. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. We do get Paul 
talking a little bit about Bath and their relationship when Olivier is grilling him, but it's not quite the same thing as when we hear Allison talk about Beth. And so at least what I kind of gather is I, I think maybe Beth and Allison were sort of, of the clones that we've seen so far, maybe the most similar, you know, just because Beth seemed relatively settled, so to speak. I mean, she had a steady job and, you know, was living with her boyfriend and, you know, seemed relatively normal, I guess. Again, from what we've seen, we know there's other stuff going on there, but... And and we know Allison respected Beth. I think she did say that. Mm-hmm. Beth taught her how to shoot. Yes, it is true. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I we definitely get a, a sense of respect for Beth from Allison. She certainly seems to be, between her and Cosima, the one who's most affected by, by Beth's death. And I would be really curious to get some more information about the original clone club how beth contacted allison and Cosima, and sort of what their dynamic was and i know that there are people online those soccer cop shippers <laughs> who, who who would love to see it as well <laughs> well see interestingly i think what i'm most curious about is what allison's initial reaction to Cosima would have been because to Cosima, yeah to Cosima. okay well, because, you know, she doesn't react that kindly to Sarah. And again, Cosima's really visibly different from her, mm-hmm. you know? Right. The eyeliner and the nose dreads. ring and the dreads and the tattoos yeah. and stuff. You know, that I think would have maybe thrown thrown Alice at a little bit. I don't know. This is me speculating, but I No, I'm, that's fair. That's I'm, fair. I'm curious to see what that meeting would have looked like. Yes. I definitely would like some flashbacks or something to Original Clone Club, meeting of Original Clone Club, etc. Yes. So we'd love to hear your thoughts about Allison or your thoughts about our thoughts about Allison. And you can send us that feedback in a couple of ways. You can send us an email to feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com or call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line at 972-514-7223. You can also now leave a comment on our show notes, which you can find over at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We are TIE Podcast. And that wraps up our episode on Allison. Join us for our next episode, which will be about Cosima. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>